Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This episode is brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Greater experiences start with reimagined consumer experiences. Visit AccentureInteractive.com to see how we're combining creativity, strategy, and technology to make businesses healthier and consumers happier. That's AccentureInteractive.com. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, pop culture, technology, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing well. Good to be here. I really enjoyed your episode last week while I was out with uh, Angela Natividad, a contributing editor, freelancer based in Paris, and I really enjoyed listening to the conversation. Did you guys have fun doing that? We had a blast. Thank you very much. I think it turned out... Uh... It was fun to do. I hope everyone enjoyed it. What really struck me about that, I was like driving back from vacation listening to that. And I was just like, I love the fact that when I'm away from my own podcast, I get, it's like a good excuse to listen to two of my best friends talk. You know, it's like that's kind of sappy, but I, it made me appreciate that uh, how well we all like get along and how much we earnestly all, you know. Well, it's always, I, I should... it's always fun to geek out on commercials. Yeah. yeah. So. But uh, we've got several more good friends with us this week, uh, frequent uh, guest on the podcast, producer on the podcast, and senior editor on the brand marketing beat, Christina Monlos. Welcome back, Christina. Hey, what's up? Uh, I also want to point out how weird it was to listen to the pod last week because it was like, oh, this thing that I'm usually extremely involved in, there's an episode and I had no idea what's going to happen on it. <laughs> That's exciting. It's a- <laughs> and then they were plugging your movie. <laughs> I know. I was like, I haven't even tried to plug this on the pod, but they're plugging it for me. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Happy guys. Happy to oblige. <laughs> yeah. So real quick, how did your uh, premiere go? Tell us about that. It was cool. Um, if you guys didn't listen to last week, um, I have a short film that went to the uh, St. Louis International Film Festival. It was part of a, a, a block of programming called... Um, feminist agenda it was like narrative shorts feminist agenda to which i was like thanks st louis international film festival for seeing me sort of um but it was it was really cool uh a bunch of people were there i got to meet a whole bunch of filmmakers um you know it's it's always strange to try and um talk about your own work but uh I, I I think I did successfully, and I, I don't know. It was really fun. I got to meet a lot of people. I don't know what else to say about it other than that. Well, did you tell us the name? Oh, 
My short film is called Special Election. Well, keep an eye out, everybody. Um, we've also got back uh, Robert Clara, a senior editor on the Brand Marketing Beat as well, and our resident uh, master of all things history uh, when it comes to brands and other things. Robert, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me back. All right. Well, we have got uh, several fun things to talk about, but I have been just dying to get to this uh, first part of the news. So let's get to the news. <laughs> All right, so KFC, let's let's talk about the biggest, hottest news going on right now. No, this is not, but man, it's just one we've all been kind of looking forward to talking to because it lends itself to a podcast discussion better than, than hard news. So KFC uh, did a stunt recently, which we may have mentioned on here, I can't really remember, uh, where they the brand unfollowed everyone on Twitter and then followed, uh, you know, the five Spice Girls and six guys named Herb. And someone eventually noticed that they were following seven or 11 herbs and spices. And, you know, yuck, yuck. Like everybody thought it was kind of a funny gag. And uh, and then some people were like, oh, it it's too silly and whatever. It's fried chicken. Um, but uh, then like as the days progressed after that, all these conspiracy theories started to float out. And so uh, we wrote a post on um, the so so the brand sent a painting. Uh, they worked with their agency, Wyden and Kennedy, to create a custom painting of the guy who noticed uh, the the you know, on Twitter who noticed what they were doing. And in the painting, he is riding piggyback on Colonel Sanders in a some kind of like wildland setting, uh, reminiscent of Yosemite. And uh, that's it. And they sent it to him as like a congratulations. And by the, by then, when this this painting was circulating on Reddit and elsewhere, and pe- all these conspiracy theories start coming out, like he was in on it, he was a plant. Uh, <laughs> it's like like this like a black flag conspiracy or false false flag about uh, you know. So the theory being, this guy works; he's a social media uh, strategist at a uh, PR firm in Sioux Falls, and uh, they do not work with. Uh, KFC or Yum Brands, we've confirmed that uh, in case anyone wondered, but no, a small PR firm in Sioux Falls does not do PR for uh, KFC. But a lot of people are like, oh, no, you know, he he was in on it. He was planted to notice it. And, and you know, and so then there was a lot of that early on and the guy. And so, Christina, you talked to him about that specifically, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I asked him several times if if he works for KFC in some capacity, to which he said no. He also admitted that he didn't fully get at first that what KFC was following was the secret recipe. He was just, you know, he just said to his coworkers like, huh, Spice Girls and dudes named Herb. And one of his coworkers was like, you know, ha- had that revelation. And then he tweeted about it. I I think this whole conspiracy theory is so hilarious. Like, if we're going to have conspiracy theories about anything, I'd much rather have it be this than, you know, the water making the frogs gay, I guess, Um, to reference Alex Jones. Um, Oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> that's a, a good yeah, reach. As, as conspiracy theories go, like what the real story behind a KFC Twitter stunt yeah. seems pretty low down on the, you know, <laughs> on the priority scale. But I, I guess once you've run through all your other conspiracy theories, you land on this one. <laughs> I mean, we have so many others that, you know, we could be spending our time on. But mm-hmm. like, 
you know, it was just fascinating because it kept going. People were documenting, like people were going back through the guy's entire tweet stream and saying like, oh, he tweeted about Taco Bell and Taco Bell is a sister that. company. Yeah. I asked and him about just, that and he was like, I just really like Taco Bell. I tweet about <laughs> food and sports. And it's like, yeah, if you go through my Twitter feed, you'd see that I love Greta Gerwig and love Lady Bird and want that to do really well. But like that doesn't mean I'm working for A24. Sure, you're not. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was the original conspiracy theory. Several different flavors of this, that he was a plant, that it was all a stunt, that they rigged it. And what's funny is, like, the, the absolute certainty that people have throughout this whole thing. And they're telling us, like, well, it's not exactly newsworthy since they're KFC's PR agency. And I'm like, but they're not. <laughs> and they're like, oh, sure they're not. <laughs> I'm like, this small firm in Sioux Falls. Okay. Um but anyway, but, you and, know, and conspiracy I, theory aside, can we take a step back and just point out that the original stunt was really kind of funny? I mean, yes, it was stupid, but it was kind of clever stupid versus yeah, yeah. versus almost all uh, Twitter marketing, which is just stupid, stupid. Like mm-hmm. like the 280 characters stuff that happened this week also, like 99 out of 100 brand tweets about having 280 characters were just really terrible. The only one that uh, was good was NASA, in my opinion. No way, no. Law and Order SVU, Law like Order running SVU the entire too, but... the entire opening of Law and Order SVU oh, true. was, but that one was, was fantastic. But so few interesting things. And, you know, this idea of like only following 11 folks and just waiting to see if someone could will notice, like that's pretty cool. As, yeah, dumb, so... as dumb as it is. The I love Easter eggs. I love anytime brands can like hide this stuff in plain sight. And Wyden and Kennedy had told us already that they basically, I think they told you this, Christina, that they just kind of threw it out there and waited and wondered how long will it take? Did someone notice? And so then, uh, you know, that it took it took what a month, I think, for that guy to notice. Uh, but then the new one today that I, you know, I wrote a, the piece about the painting that the guy got, and then all these people are tagging me on Twitter. They're like, when are you going to tell the truth about <laughs> When are you going to tell story? the truth? I'm just going <laughs> to, right now, I'm going to spill it all on the Adweek <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, so so basically the, this, new, this new theory, which is, I mean, there's fact to it for sure, uh, that someone else noticed uh, before this guy. Uh, it was a woman, and she had, uh, she had posted... Oh, you know, KFC's following you know, five Spice Girls. And, and, you know, it's not the same tweet. Some people have said he copied her word for word. No, no. I mean, they're, they're quite different tweets. Uh, the biggest difference, I would say, is that he tagged KFC. And mm-hmm. You want to get a brand's attention. You want to, like, fuel your path to viral glory. Uh, remember to tag the brand because she did not. So they missed it or whatever. Uh, and so she didn't get the fame. She didn't get the hundreds of thousands of likes and retweets. Uh, oh, they which, sent her something nice, though, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. They said they're sending her a package that they did notice. Uh, and several weeks ago, they but said there were multiple people. It's not just this one woman like that. You can you can track back. And it's like clearly a couple of people noticed, but they were waiting for the viral tweet. That's yeah. what any any company would do. You wait for the viral tweet and then you capitalize on that. I mean, if like 10 people are like, huh, cool, you're not going to be like, all right, we got it. That's our thing. Let's go. Yeah, like, there was probably like a Nugs for Bill like a few months before Nugs for Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. The, uh, you know, so technically the first person to notice was a guy named Herb that they followed. Uh, he works at the Deseret News. <laughs> He's got like thousands of followers. And he noticed right away because he was like, whoa, KFC, why are you following me? And why are you only following? Oh, I get it. You know, so he knows right away. But obviously, I don't think they wanted to pull the trigger on that one uh, because it's just 
you know, yeah, he's going to notice because you actively followed him. Um, anyway, the the thing that gets so we updated our story to include ah, like you know, here's this woman that had it early, but but man, people people are mad, and some of it I get like people are saying, oh, they they favored this one because he's a guy and she's a woman, and that you know, there's so so there's gender suppression in this, like. I, you know, I'm just going to go when out. Are people it. not mad on Twitter though? Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's. The, I have not. It's been many months since I've gotten so many like angry tweets that are just like, you know, you are not telling the whole story, and I'm on to you, and like tagging me particularly like like I'm some kind of shell. I haven't eaten KFC since I was like 10 years old, man. I don't give a crap about KFC. Um, One or the Griner, other. this is where all of these people on Reddit are going to find pictures of you or tweets from you about <laughs> eating KFC to prove that, yet again, you're a shill. Or, uh, David, I'm solid you did eat Bojangles. the entire Taco Bell menu in one sitting. That's true, and you How wrote does about that it. Relate? How does that relate? Yo, oh, man, someone's someone's bored with threads connecting tax is <laughs> 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 getting full. <laughs> Can I just point out that none of this has gotten us any closer into learning exactly what these eleven herbs and spices are? <laughs> I remember, like, <laughs> good point. So, someone I mean, did an analysis. Now that we're once talking about conspiracies, like... are there really eleven herbs and spices? Actually, <laughs> I mean, are they real spices? Now, Robert, you probably know this, but I want to say that the that the working theory for a long time was that no, that there's only it's like it was like MSG, salt, and pepper. And yeah, like I mean, I I think that they're pretty easy to guess. But the thing that struck me about this is that this goes all the way back to Colonel Sanders himself uh, selling franchises with a handshake. Um, and you know, the eleven herbs and spices was a really really durable uh, tagline. It was it was. Mid-century marketing. I think it's incredible that it's still serving them. Um, there's another thing that just jumped out at me that I want to mention. Uh, KFC itself actually got kind of burned by a conspiracy last year. I don't. This kind of slipped beneath the headlines, but uh, there were three rival chicken brands in China that started a, the conspiracy theory that KFC scientists had developed an eight-legged chicken, um, and they actually went to court and prevailed against those companies. So I just want to say conspiracies cut both ways. Man. <laughs> and and uh, I, I'll point out for uh, – this was one of my uh, other favorite KFC moments of the last year. So KFC has a big I, – I don't know if it's paid or not, but a big product placement in Stranger Things Season 2. Uh, it's it's one of the more blatant uh, of many that, that's in there, but uh, um, uh, is it an eight legged Lynch... chicken? Uh, yeah, that would actually fit. Perfect. That would fit. Like, just yeah, comes climbing out of the time for the eight legged chicken to appear, <laughs> but it's the show. Just to clarify, Lynch did report on the KFC Stranger Things. Uh, thing and Netflix says none of the brands that are mentioned. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I forgot that he had asked about that. Uh, that it, it was not paid. The um, but man, what a what a big shout out KFC gets. But someone pointed out on Twitter, and Robert, maybe you know off the top of your head that in the in the episode which takes place in what night in eighty eighty five or so. Yeah, somewhere um, like early eighties, I think. The uh, Steve says, "I love KFC." They weren't and then called someone, KFC then. Yeah, someone pointed out on Twitter they weren't called. They nope. no one even called it KFC back then. Nope, nope. It was still Kentucky Fried Chicken back then. And there are conspiracy theories, by the way, about why they changed that name. Um, because uh, when fried became a dirty word, they kind of drifted away from it. But the company's line was, I don't know, that they wanted to focus on some corp. I don't know, whatever it was. It was it was your typical PR line that kind of obfuscated the point. Well, they so wanted it to be that able. It wasn't actually Ooh. chicken. You guys, we have so much to say about KFC. Um, I was just a special at the, KFC podcast. 
<laughs> it was just at the ANA where, where they were talking about what a mistake it was to change their name from Kentucky Fried Chicken to KFC and that they were doing that so that people would realize they had other kinds of chicken and other options. But not just fried. But that, again, created this conspiracy theory that they couldn't say chicken anymore because it wasn't chicken. Because it wasn't chicken. That's right. That was another one. In fact, yeah, I heard a rumor in- that KFC sponsors this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we get paid they for every should. minute we talk about it. They should. Um, we, uh, and it's also not, by some people's definition, it's not technically fried. It's uh, pressure cooked. Mm. So, you know, oh I don't know. People have lots of theories. Anyway, it's all right. the new PCC pressure cooked chicken. <laughs> Just a rolls off the tongue. All right. Well, apologies to everyone who did not enjoy listening to the the KFC hour on that. Man, I just I enjoyed that. Okay, let's move on to uh, something mildly more newsy. Uh, Adweek. Oh wait, that's us. I don't know if it's more newsy. This is like self promotional, but whatever. It's it's fun. <laughs> Adweek uh, unveiled our list of the LA brand stars in our annual Los Angeles issue, uh, where we spotlight what's going on uh, to out west. And uh, this year, so last year we spotlighted uh, media stars, and this year we did brand stars. Uh, So there's a few familiar names in there that uh, have won our Brand Genius Awards or who we've covered quite a bit. Uh, Taco Bell CMO, (laughs) here they are back again. Taco Bell CMO Marissa Thalberg, uh, Dollar Shave Club founder Michael Dubin. Uh, But there were some other really interesting ones in there, too. Uh, Christina, Robert, uh, either of you have any that you wanted to kind of shout out? I'm happy to list a few, but uh, which ones were you most interested in? I mean, I'm always into Patagonia. Um, So whatever they do um, and whenever we can recognize that, I'm kind of excited about it. Um, I think they're a really interesting brand. Even um, a couple weeks ago, they were... They were um, they partnered with a bunch of other brands um, to come out with these ads talking about what's happening with um, you know with with our national parks and to see you know a bunch of brands partnering and and trying to to do something with that is is really rad. Um, I should name who we recognized from Patagonia, and that's a uh, Corey Bayers or Byers. Sorry, Corey. I don't know how to say your name exactly, um, but he's the VP of marketing there, and what he's been doing for the brand has been really cool. Um, I don't know if any of the listeners have also noticed that American Apparel is trying to make a comeback, but um, they are, and there's a woman named uh, Sabina Weber. She's the head of brand marketing there, and she's trying to, um, you know, you use what the brand used to do. I mean, it had iconic advertising, um, but do it in a way that um, has like a direct and empowered gaze. I don't know how you do that. I don't know if it'll be successful, but it's certainly something to watch. Now, she has her work cut out for her, I think, because uh, after that acquisition, uh, now the buzzword that they're, the buzz term, I guess, that they're using are that their clothes are globally made. So, uh, you know, that means offshore sewing. Um, presumably, they're sticking to their no sweatshop pledge. But the point is, American Apparel isn't really American Apparel anymore. Um, and I remember when I wrote about American Giant, which is one of the few, you know, American made uh, apparel brands that's actually 
turning in good numbers. And, you know, his point was this is only possible because we're basically making to order and we're charging a premium. So in the segment that they're in, obviously, making it here is not really financially viable. But that's a problem because everybody associates that brand with, with uh, you know, American labor. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what she does. Um, the other brand on this list that jumped out for me was the Soylent because um, this whole energy shake, uh, meal replacement shake thing is so huge. And um, it's a segment that doesn't get a lot of attention, but there's so many uh, uh, brands out there that do this. What impresses me about this brand is that they're kind of bringing it beyond the whole nutrition taste, uh, you know, continuum that they all compete on. And um, they're speaking to, I think, millennial-minded concerns because they partner with the World Food Program and uh, they donated uh, a million meals last year via the World Food Program. So it's interesting and, and I think uh, heartening to see that apparently, corporately, they have their hearts in the right place. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. I was glad to see that we included Halo Top Creamery. That's a brand that's come up quite a bit on the podcast in the last few months, thanks to their... Actually, David, I think that comes up quite a bit in your refrigerator, doesn't it? <laughs> you know what? I've, I, have never, I have never tried it. And oh, every time I go to the Wait grocery... a minute. You were talking about an ice cream brand the other week that you love. Uh, Talenti. Oh, okay. I think is my that's I, I don't I don't do dairy so uh, Talenti if we want to get into like unpaid endorsements uh, their mango uh, what do you call it sorbet or whatever uh, is super good um, but yeah because because I don't do dairy I have like kind of limited options on the ice cream front but I have to admit just because of the conversations on here like every time I see Halo Top in the store and it is like a growing presence as we've talked about. Uh, you know, I'm tempted uh, just to try it, just to see what all the fuss is about. It's always fun when a brand like that kind of comes up. So we included Justin Wolverton, uh, who's the founder and CEO of Halo Top. Uh, it, Tim, what, you know, is there anything else that you've kind of learned about them since? I, I feel like most of us, uh, that weird uh, robot ad was kind of the first we had really noticed uh, about them. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't tried uh, Halo Top ice cream either, uh, even since we've written about it. But I know Wait, Justin. Wait, am I was... the only one who has? I have. You have? Yeah. Okay. So we're split 50-50. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Justin, it's nice to see Justin on here because I think he was, you know, he's very, very involved in the marketing. He's the CEO, but I mean, he handpicked uh, Mike Diva, the, the, the crazy music video director, to do that robot ad. And, uh, you know, Mike Diva, who's kind of a crazy guy himself, um, calls Justin a badass. So when you have a guy like Mike Diva kind of saying that you're a yeah. badass... That's that's pretty cool. And, you know, the whole idea behind, I mean, Red Tedemer O'Connell uh, did a bunch of ads kind of with a devil, uh, angel devil theme earlier in the summer, uh, you know, which really did a good job of kind of pushing um, the, the product benefits there. Um, but then Justin basically said, I want something that's just going to grab people's attention. And so they made this sort of dystopian uh, robot commercial that ended up running in the cinemas kind of before screenings of, of movies like It. And, you know, certainly one of the craziest uh, ads of the year. And Justin, you know, was very instrumental in, in bringing that to life. So that was pretty cool. I wanted to also uh, shout out uh, Lori Pantel, who is the SVP and Global General Manager for, for Girls Brands at Mattel, which means she oversees a lot of the products designed for girls. You know, what's fascinating about that is that we are in this kind of hybrid uh, time where – 
I think everyone admits that in the ideal world, you know, toys would be gender neutral and that you wouldn't you wouldn't have something like an SVP for girls brands or boys brands. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, there's a lot of progress being made because of people in these positions, you know, who are making girls, you know, toys aimed at girls that are more empowering slightly, you know, more uh, modern in what they prioritize. Uh, and so I, I thought that was a really interesting, uh, you know, brand person to have on the list uh, and will be kind of fascinating to see how her title evolves. You know, like five years from now, will that position even exist? I don't know. It'd be interesting. Well, there, there are quite a few more. I'm not going to make people just listen to us rattle off every single one. So definitely go to adweek.com uh, and look for our uh, Los Angeles brand stars. You can just Google that. And I'm sure you will find it. Uh, the LA issue is always a lot of fun to put together. Uh, and in fact, we're going to be hearing a, a lot more about it in just a minute uh, because unfortunately, uh, Jason Lynch, our TV editor, uh, who did our cover story uh, with uh, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, could uh, could not be here with us to record this episode. So Christina set aside some time to talk to him one-on-one. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, but, uh, but first, I want to talk about the ads worth watching. All right. Each week, Tim uh, takes a look at the ads that are worth your time to check out. Uh, and Tim, what have you got for us this week? So it is officially Christmas season. I know that's kind of crazy since it's only, as we record this, uh, November 10th. But the first week of November traditionally uh, has always been the week when we start to see all the Christmas commercials. And so uh, the biggest one, the most anticipated one of the year, of course, is the John Lewis uh, commercial from Adam and Eve DDB. Uh, And it came out on Friday morning. And uh, yeah, so we wrote that one up. It's it was directed by Michelle Gondry, and it has a theme of like a monster under the bed. So it's a two minute ad, and it's it stars a little kid named Joe who is you know seen going to bed at the beginning of the ad, and he he realizes that there's a monster under his bed. There's this monster snoring, and it's funny because you see like toys kind of coming in and out of, of under his bed based on the, the, the creature snoring, which is pretty amusing to see. And at first he's scared, and he puts up signs like no monsters allowed and so on. Um, but then pretty soon he ends up uh, kind of befriending the creature, and um, they start to play together at night uh, when Joe should be sleeping. And uh, over the course of the ad, um, Joe's having a great time, but he's also kind of falling asleep during the day because uh, he's up all night playing with this make, make-believe um, creature. Or maybe not make-believe, who knows. Um, and, you know, the, the I don't want to give away the ending if people are, are going to see it, but essentially the monster um, starts to realize that their friendship is making Joe kind of tired. So he buys him something at Christmas that will um, uh, help Joe sleep. And... I don't know. It's, you know, I think the reaction was a little bit mixed to this one. I think, first of all, I think the bar is so high for John Lewis ads at Christmas. I'd be, I'd be curious to hear what you guys thought of it. Um, I think the long wait from 2011 and Monty the Penguin from um, 2014 are probably the, you know, the high points of this advertiser. And both of those spots were really, really incredible. Um, and I think it's it's hard for, for them, for Adam and Eve and, and John Lewis to kind of reach those heights every year. And, you know, this year, I thought this ad was really, really lovely, um, really, really well made, uh, and also very charming. Um, it doesn't quite have, you know, the, the emotional punch at the end that those other two spots that I mentioned have. Um, but, but at the same time, it's, it's far from a fail. I mean, I think it's, it's a wonderful piece, and it's probably the best one we've seen uh, this year so far. And we've seen, I mean, we've probably seen seven or eight of these already. Um, but what did you guys um, think of this one? Eh, it's fine. 
honestly. Yeah, Christina, you didn't you didn't love it, did you? No, I didn't love it. I mean, I you know the whimsical child best friend, uh, you know thing. It's cute. It it is what it is. Um, I just feel like they could have been a little more creative. Um, I I also you know there's there's like a weird moment toward toward the end of it where like the kid goes under the Christmas tree and there's a package that's like wrapped up really poorly and to me I was thinking oh my god is his friend real like did his friend get him a gift because he looks at his mom or someone who seems to be his mom um I, I don't know she looked really young so but then maybe she's a mom's age I don't know Oh man! I think, I think she's the mom. <laughs> Christina sure. comes to grips. <laughs> it's like when you start looking around, you see moms that are your age, and you're like, "No, that's not. That doesn't. That's not a thing." <laughs> that's just, that's literally what's going through my mind right now. I'm like, that woman looked to be my age. Oh, I yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, you know, she like shrugs at him, and he opens the package, and then um, you know has this nightlight, which. Um, Spoiler alert, makes his friend go away, Um, which is this, like, odd moment of, like... Are you supposed to be uh, happy or not? Yeah, like, uh, is is it about how, like, consumerism ends friendships? Because that's a message (laughs) I'm on board with. (laughs) No, no, it just kills imagination. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, conceptually, there's definitely some, some weird things here, like like the 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 crescendo of the ad is like the friend going away which is like not a great moment for friendship um being you know, that the reason that the long wait worked so well and also uh monty the penguin works so well is because for 95 percent of those commercials you don't really know what's going on and the last moment like pays it off completely and makes you look at everything you've seen before in a completely different light and that's a, a difficult trick for a commercial to do and those two commercials uh, did that really well. And there's only a handful of other ones, you know, that I can even think of. I know the Ro- the Robinson's Juice commercial from a few years back uh, did that, the BBH made. Um, but it's not easy to do. And I think, you know, there's so much pressure on this agency to, to do, to make this the perfect ad of the year. And it's, it's a lot to live up to. Yeah. I, I want to say a few words in defense of, uh, of the, the, the haggled people at uh, John Lewis, because they're, they're under an enormous amount of pressure, as you said, to, to make this work. And I was looking back at the the hit parade of Christmas ads, and there were some incredible ones, not just from John Lewis, because remember, to, in the consumer's mind, uh, all of the brands that compete on this front kind of meld together. So Sainsbury's also did some amazing ads, Christmas ads in the past, um, even Burberry. Uh, and I, the thing that jumps out for me is the Christmas is for sharing ad from Sainsbury's in 2014, that World War I uh, mm-hmm. truce in the trenches ad. Um, and I mean, even though that wasn't John Lewis, it's just so hard to follow stuff like that, um, you know, because the bar keeps getting raised and, and uh, I just don't think that they can follow it every single year. Yeah. Uh, although I do agree that the, the end of this was a bit of a letdown. Your, uh, uh, you know, your best friend ceases to exist. Merry Christmas is a bit of a <laughs> that's a tough holiday thing to swallow for me anyway. Yeah. And I, and I just I just felt like they were treading back over you know, ground that they covered so well with Monty the Penguin that I wasn't really surprised when they did a hard, hard turn last year and what they had, like the, what, boxer on a trampoline, Buster, right? Buster the boxer, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that one was, to me, a big turd, but, you know, it's, it's, 
I didn't blame them for going in a very different direction. And then now it was like, wait, never mind. Here's another kid with another imaginary friend and a product that helps, you know, solve their, you know. Yeah. I was just like, that's eh, a good point. Okay, you, you've done it better. Um, but I don't know, Tim. Where does it rank in the pantheon of of John Lewis? You know, edge? I like I liked it. It's certainly not at the top. I, I think it's it's worthy, despite its flaws. I think it's a very lovely piece. It's better than that bear in the hair. I, I was never, <laughs> wasn't that was it, wasn't that John Lewis? The one that I really didn't like very much was the uh, the the snowman one from 2012, where the snowman kind of wanders throughout, uh, you know, the, the countryside. I don't know. I di- I didn't find that one to be make much sense at all but again that was right after the long wait and that was you know they started to feel the pressure even then that was five years ago so all right well what else uh, do you have in the in the non-christmas vein well so it was also a big week for uh mobile phone commercials um google uh through droga 5 did a, a new ad for the pixel 2 uh, which is uh, Google's phone, of course. Um, it was a sort of a maybe we can listen to a clip from this one. It was a, a, a two minute spot that listed every potential question you might have uh, and give you an answer for uh, about the Google phone. Can they call me Bay? Yes, Bay. Can you text my Bay? Yes, Bay. Without using my hands? Yes, Bay. Can I order me a sandwich? Yes. And another one? Yes. Can you speak to my house? Sure. Can it turn the lights off? Yes. On. Yes. Off. Yes. On. Yes. Off. On. Yes. What are you doing? So that one was interesting. Another one uh, was the Samsung spot from from Wyden and Kennedy uh, for the new, I guess it's the Note 8, or I guess, in fact, I think it was for all of the Galaxy uh, 8 series phones. And, you know, this is Samsung kind of going back to its roots of five, six years ago, where they're just absolutely dumping on Apple. Uh, This was a spot that did almost nothing uh, but but make fun of Apple. It was, you know, it, it, it went back to 2007, and it stars a guy who is so excited to get the first iPhone. And then, you know, by 2010, he's having problems with his iPhone. By 2013, he's, you know, it's he's really having issues because Samsung has come out with their phone, which has a bigger screen, has a stylus, has all these things. And so the entire sort of, the entire ad kind of goes through this entire decade of iPhones and, and kind of dumps on each one of them. And at the very end, uh, the hero of the spot decides to, spoiler alert, he gets the new uh, Samsung phone, and then he's wandering. No. Uh, hard and to then believe. he takes it to a KFC. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, he takes it past an Apple store where there are people waiting in line uh, to buy the new uh, iPhone X. And one of the guys waiting in line has a haircut that looks like the notch on the iPhone 10. I really hope they didn't actually do that to that guy because it's such <laughs> no, it, a... No, it looked like a I mean, piece on his head. It, it's, it's so ugly, like, on him. I mean, it's ugly on the phone, but it's so ugly on him. Can I just point that, out this wasn't the only hair symbolism going on in this ad? Um, if you look closely at the hero, uh, his facial hair develops throughout the spot. So as he gradually awakens to the wisdom of owning a Samsung product, he is growing a full beard, which he has by the end of the ad. Huh. <laughs> he, it's his, his wokeness beard. That's right. He, he becomes a full-on card-carrying hipster by the end of the ad. Full-on card-carrying that's a so, good way to uh, age. That's a better way to age folks than, uh, than than the usual sort of creases around the eyes makeup, though, isn't it? <laughs> I, uh, you know, what I liked about the, about this, or what it made me realize, is you know I've never loved this campaign from Samsung uh, just because, like, I don't think attacking fans of your competitor product 
is, I, I think that's overly divisive because as someone who has switched, as I'm sure a lot of people have, I've switched, you know, back and forth. I, I've owned like two Samsung phones and too many Apple phones. Um, so anyway, that, that aside, it made me realize that the Apple, the iPhone 10 has really opened this back up again, right? Because like the iPhone 6, iPhone 7, uh, those are those are very solid phones. They're probably the eight. I don't know, but like it's probably there's not much you can ding those on other than like a small megapixel difference maybe in your camera. But the iPhone 10 like opened up this whole design debate again with like the facial recognition and the the notch at the top that kind of disrupts the full screen glass and. You know, and and now you know there's all these reports coming out that it shatters very easily. It's like we're back to those early iPhone days when it just was con- like so much bad press about it. And Samsung, you know, has got to be just like forget about our burning phones. <laughs> like yeah, let's make right. fun of this notch. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the notch haircut was pretty hilarious because I didn't even notice it at first, and then we ended up doing a second story on the ad just because of the notch. I thought that was pretty amusing. I mean, the framing it, of that shot is great because in the background you can see the the, mm-hmm. the outline of the phone with the notch on like the ad outside the Apple store. <laughs> right. So like that framing is immaculate. And he's he looks like don't look at my notch. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at? Kind of funny. Uh, all right, all right. Well, and, you know, I wanted to also mention because I think this was maybe uh, the best ad that I saw this week, and it's more of a short film than an ad. I don't know. North Face might take issue with the. With the word "ad," but it's a it's a film that was put together um, by Sherpa's Cinema, which is a group that does a lot of skiing films, and they've in the past couple of years, um, partly at the uh, at the urging of of one of their uh, professional athletes, a guy named J.P. O'Claire, they started a content series uh, about six or seven or maybe eight years ago. Uh, where it's you know it takes free freestyle skiing kind of more into urban areas. I think they're trying to expand the sport beyond um, you know only the folks that live near giant mountains. And so they've come up with this series, and the North Face has actually signed on recently to sponsor this series. So uh, it's a new short film um, called Imagination. Um, stars a, a skier named Tom Wallish, and uh, it's a lovely film. It's about four minutes long, four and a half minutes long, and it shows a kid in the back seat of a car, and it's a very sort of nostalgic ad. That it's shot as though it were like the 70s or something. And there's a kid in the back of the car. His parents are kind of driving. Uh, it's winter time. They're driving through these towns, and the kid's bored, and he, he pretends to, kind of using his fingertips, you know, he looks out the window and he pretends to be skiing. His, his, his fingers are like skiing along the road and, and along the, uh, the, the, you know, the house tops nearby. And then suddenly uh, this, this guy, Tom Wallace, uh, this professional freestyle skier, comes in and starts doing all these crazy moves, uh, jumping, leaping over these, uh, these homes and, and uh, down railings and all around this sort of semi-urban landscape. And uh, it's just a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful ad. Uh, you know, I don't, t- I don't tend to love sports advertising because I feel like it's all highlight reel stuff. And this is highlight reel, but it's, but it's combined with this kind of really imaginative framework, kind of a- about this, the story almost of this kid in a car kind of imagining this happening. And I just loved it. I thought it was, um, I could watch it over and over, and it's also a wonderful tribute to J.P. O'Claire, who uh, tragically uh, died in a in an avalanche about two or three years ago. And so he started, you know, he was sort of the creative force behind this uh, this content series, and it's being carried on kind of in his memory by some of the North Face's other 
uh, I don't know if they're actually North Face gears, but they're but North Face is certainly underwriting the whole thing now. And if you watch any ad this week, I, I would suggest uh, Imagination uh, Tom Wallish presented by North Face. It was it was simply amazing. All right, well, thank you, Tim, for rounding up the week's best ads. And I encourage anyone who missed last week's episode, which is kind of all devoted to some of the best recent ads and featured our colleague Angela as well as Tim, uh, go back and check that one out. Uh, this week for our big discussion of the week, we're going to change things up a little bit. Uh, Christina has sat down with our colleague Jason Lynch to talk about his cover story on Jimmy Kimmel, who has kind of become this uh, almost surprising moral force uh, on late night TV. Uh, and really fascinating. He's got a cover story this week and an exclusive interview. Uh, so Christina sat down to talk to him about that. So let's enjoy that. So Jason, you're out the last two days of this week on, you know, you have the cover story with Jimmy Kimmel. Um, tell us a bit about how you landed Kimmel and during this time where he seems to be getting so much buzz. Now, the interesting thing is we had actually reached out even before the events of the fall because even before that, he was having a pretty big year uh, just with the news uh, about his son, Billy, who had open heart surgery in April, and then that caused him to be a very vocal uh, opponent of uh, Congress's efforts to you know, derail the Affordable Care Act. And this was just this uh, really unusual situation for a uh, a comedian who had hosted the show for 15 years. And you, you, everybody kind of thought they knew Jimmy Kimmel. And all of a sudden, there was this new side to him. And he really... Um, he really, you know, caused a lot of people to 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 take notice of him in a way that we hadn't before. Now, strictly on the advertiser side, uh, advertisers have loved Jimmy Kimmel for years. His, his annual appearance at ABC's Upfront is always a highlight. You know, sadly he had to miss it this year because of his son. Um, so he has been somebody who has been on advertisers' radar for a while. Um, and then the other thing that we forget, and even he forgot in our interview, was that this year he also hosted the Oscars, which, oh given everything that's happened since then. And in the fall with him talking not only, again, about health care, but about gun control, you know, seems like five years ago, but still actually happened this year. And they asked him to come back and host the very next day. So it's really been a, a, a breakout year for him. And for a show that had kind of comfortably settled in, let's say, second, third place behind Fallon, behind Colbert, you know, all of a sudden he's making some noise on that front as well. So this this has really been uh, it's it, it's been a, it's been a big, big year for Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, for sure. Um, your interview with him is so entertaining. He seems like a great guy to talk to. One of my favorite bits that you have in there is that when you guys are talking about the Oscars, he he makes a little dig at Matt Damon, which um, if, if our listeners aren't familiar with Jimmy Kimmel and Matt Damon's longstanding jokey beef, um, they might not be, find that as funny, but it was it, it was a nice little reprieve. Yeah, he, you know, he's still, even given everything that's going on in his life, and he talks about how tumultuous this year was, he's still in really, really good spirits. Uh, you know, he, he just kept cracking jokes the whole interview, was laughing a lot. And, um, you know, given all the other, you know, serious things that are going on in his life, both personally and kind of professionally, uh, you know, he's he's always been that type of guy. So it was, yeah, it was fun to be able to kind of get some of that in, even when we're talking about, you know, these really serious topics. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this is the LA, LA issue. Um, 
And, you know, he obviously hosts the show based in L.A. Um, But before we started recording, we were talking a bit about how he grew up in Brooklyn and then moved to Las Vegas. And then, you know, L.A. has been a big part of his life. Yeah. Yeah. He's been in L.A. He he ended up in L.A. in 1994. He was on the radio station K-Rock. And, you know, as when you're a DJ, you know, you end up kind of bouncing around the country. He finally ended up in L.A. And that job led to The Man Show, which led to Jimmy Kimmel Live. And, you know, he's been there ever since. And the the weird thing is, you know, back, you think a, a decade or two ago, all of the 11 to 30 shows were based in LA, The Tonight Show, Arsenio Hall, whatever kind of, uh, whatever show CBS would throw up there trying in vain to, com- to compete against Johnny Carson, they were all there. And all of a sudden now that uh, Colbert is out here in New York and Fallon's out here in New York, he's the last man standing in LA at 11.30, which is which is kind of odd. And I asked him, I said, well, it's, it's also kind of unusual just to be in LA for that period of time. Was there any job that may have potentially brought you to New York? He said there was one. When Craig Kilborn announced in 1998 he was leaving Comedy Central, the then president of, of – I'm sorry, that Craig Kilborn was leaving The Daily Show. The then president of Comedy Central offered him that job and he turned it down. That job would have taken him to New York. Obviously, <laughs> John Stewart said yes. The rest is history. And I say it worked out really well for both of them, but he said that was the only time he was even tempted to potentially come to New York. Wow. That would have been (laughs) – that reality seems so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Was there there anything in, in your interview with him that you were surprised by? Uh, You know, I was kind of surprised by how much he seems to love being at the upfronts every year. Uh, You know, we talked about it. Obviously, that's something that that Advocates readers are really interested in because of how much they they love that. But I always thought that it was something he was kind of forced to do. And, you know, he just does it. And it's like he goes through the motions and it's fine. But it's not like a... It's not like a favorite thing that he loves. And he said, you know, it was it was so weird to him, but he actually missed it when he wasn't there this year. He's like, this is this thing that I do every year and and I wasn't there. And there was these great jokes that I was like not didn't have the opportunity to tell. And um, you know, considering that he kind of stumbled into this, he said the first three times, the first three years, he didn't even understand what the upfronts were. He was just told to kind of <laughs> he was told to just like make a bunch of jokes, write a bunch of jokes out. The first before he goes on stage, the first year an ABC exec says to him, you better this better be really funny. You better hit this out of the park, which he's like, is not the not the advice you give to no. somebody right when they go on oh stage. And then once you kind of realize what it was and how many people liked it, you know, it's it's really become this kind of annual thing that he seems to, in some weird way, love as much as uh, as advertisers and buyers do. And he says, you know, I'm up till 4 a.m. the night before. Like he really he feels, especially now that other networks are kind of doing their own version of it. NBC will bring out Seth Meyers and sometimes Jimmy Fallon. He really feels the pressure to, you know, this is, he feels like he owns this and he really wants to be the funniest guy every, every, every year there. So, uh, so that was, that was a big surprise to me. That, and then as I was saying before, just kind of what and what good spirits he is in considering, you know, everything else that's, that's kind of going on with him. Yeah. Did he, did you mention any hesitation about, um, you know, having, revealing that personal information about his son? And that's, that seems like a big decision. Uh, yeah, it does. And I would certainly have thought that. And he said, you know, it would surprise you how little thought I give to big decisions like that. He said, you know, I, every day on my show, I'm making so many decisions, you really don't have a time to, to stop and think, especially when it's something like that. And he says, you know, maybe in hindsight, like if I had really sat down and said, boy, is this something, you know, I, 
that I, I would I would really want to have out there. Maybe I would have had a different response to it. But he said, in the moment, it was something that was important and something I wanted to do. And he did it. He did a great job. And then even after he you know, he made that announcement, he took the, the uh, an, another week off and. He said he was still aware of, of how much it resonated with people. And he, the six months later uh, when he was doing his – he brought his talk show to Brooklyn for a week last month and he was saying people were still stopping in the, him in the street every day and telling him how much it meant to him. And he said, you know, I've never – this is a new experience for me. It's one thing to make people laugh. It's another thing to really kind of stand up and give a voice to people who who, have, who don't have somebody to do that for him. So it's been – you know, as, as spur of the moment it may have felt for him, off the cuff as it may have felt, it's really kind of a – a profound decision that's had, you know, just huge impact. Yeah. I think it's really unique to see someone be that emotionally vulnerable on live television and to see someone who you're used to laughing with, you know, um, maybe that that makes it more impactful. I think so. I think because of his persona, um, you you just, you know that this was something that, you know, and, and I think also what helped when he, when he, Every time he did any of these monologues, and you know he's had to do a few of them, he would say three or four times in it, like, I don't even kind of know what I'm doing. Like, this isn't, I don't even want to be doing this. I want to be cracking jokes. And in almost his his approach to it, which was, listen, like, I, I get that this is a little bit out of my ballpark, but it's still an important thing to do, uh, I think helped that and I think really helped it resonate. And um, this was a part that didn't make the interview, but it'll make uh, another story that I'm going to write next week. You know, he talked about the fact, uh, you know, I, I, I made the point that I felt like, especially with the, the healthcare uh, debate, that he really, he was able to really crystallize a lot of the issues in a way that nobody else who was really debating had done. And he he said that this that was a really important thing to him. He's like, my audience doesn't want to hear like a, you know, they don't want to go through like a 25 page, you know, PowerPoint presentation about this. He's like, I really needed to break it down and not only uh, say it in a way that my audience would understand, but say it in a way that I would understand. And I think that that approach to it um, is another reason why his words had such an impact in a way that so much of the other debate around the health around healthcare, both in the spring when he made this announcement and then in September when it resurfaced again, didn't. Yeah, for sure. I mean, healthcare isn't something where like uh, you know the average person has the time to really go through that right. stuff. Yes. Yeah. So to have it broken down that way is is really helpful. Um, all right. Is there is there anything else about your chat with him that you want to tee up for our listeners? Uh, I, all I will say is that you know that I, I, he he was a great interview. There's a lot of great stuff in the magazine, but there's also a couple things that we will be rolling out online during the next week. My favorite in particular is that he tell he told me the upfront joke that ABC did not let him tell, and the one that he still regrets not being able to tell because <laughs> he thought it would be very funny. So that's all I will say about it. But look, uh, go to adweek.com on Tuesday, and your answer you know, you'll find the answer there. That's a nice solid tease. All right. Thanks again, Jason, for making the time today to be on. Um, and, you know, everyone make sure to check out the, uh, the interview with Kimmel. Great. All right. Bye, guys. All right. Don't forget, you can email your questions or comments to podcast at adweek.com. We love hearing from you. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Christina Monlos. Thank you, Christina. Please take a moment, if you haven't already, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new audiences discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we will be back next week.
This episode was brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Accenture Interactive is hyper-focused on offering new connected experiences that flex to accommodate individual needs. See how we're creating greater experiences now at AccentureInteractive.com.